Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. This is the letter what Paul, the apostle, wrote to the church at Colossae, and it was around 61 AD. He founded this church possibly when he was in Ephesus. Remember in Acts 19, he was there for about two years, not only being an evangelist, and a preacher of the gospel, but he actually stayed on, we would say, in the role of a pastor, pastoring the church at Ephesus. And then he would leave and later write back to the church at Ephesus. Now, this letter and the church to Philippi, the book of Philippians, and the book of Ephesians were all written, and Titus, while he was in jail in Rome. At the end, right before, well, just a few years before he's actually going to be beheaded for his faith. He'll be imprisoned in Rome for about two years. I believe it's around 60 to 62 AD. And then he'll get let go for a year or so. We don't know the exact window, but a, a period of time. And then they rearrest him and they behead him. So Paul wrote this kind of what we would say near the end of his ministry. And the only reason I point that out is because I kind of like to listen to ministers that have a few years under their belt. Okay, now, it doesn't mean God can't speak to someone who's very new in the faith. They can have just as great a revelation of Christ as their Savior as someone who's old in the faith. But I appreciate Paul's maturity when he writes this letter, because he writes to the church here at Colossae, and he says he's writing to all of the saints, all the believers, the faithful brethren that are in Christ who are at Colossae, and he greets them with what we saw the typical Siamese twins greeting of the New Testament. Grace and peace. Grace and peace be to you from God our Father. Now remember, Paul said his calling was, he's Jewish, but his calling was the apostle to the Gentiles. So in his greeting, he greets first with what we would call a Gentile greeting, grace be to you, that's to all the non-Jewish people. But he also throws in grace and the Jewish greeting, which is shalom. And so he says, and shalom be to you also. So grace and peace be to you. And then he, he went on and he said, we have not quit praying for you. We give thanks to God. Verse three, and the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying for you always since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that we heard about that you have for the saints. He was very grateful to God to hear that that church was full of love for one another. Remember, Jesus said, they will know you're my disciple in that you have one thing, love for one another. You can talk, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, but if you don't have love, in Corinthians, Paul will write, if you have all wisdom and you have all knowledge, you can solve all sorts of riddles and mysteries and you have gifts, you can prophesy, you can even have gifts of healing, any gifts. He says, but if you don't have love, you're a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. You're nothing. Without love, all of it doesn't mean a hill of beans. Okay? Because the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. So if they have love, Paul knows they have a fighting chance. And so he says, ever since I heard this, I haven't ceased to give thanks to God because I heard you guys have love for one another. Verse 4 says, we haven't quit giving thanks to God since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. You heard about this 
wonderful thing that we have laid up for us. He says, which has come to you, this gospel, and is in all the world, also as it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you, also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Once you learn about the grace of God in his truth, grace has such a power to transform our lives. Because grace is, by definition, unmerited favor. We didn't earn it. God says, I love you not because you earned my love. I love you because I'm a loving God. You guys know that one of God's attributes is God is love. Just like it says, God is light. There's different attributes of our God that are wonderful. And so, once you learn that truth, that God loves you, he says, that grace, it began a work in you that is bearing fruit and continues. God says, I love you so much that I accept you right where you are, but I love you so much. I'm not going to leave you there. That would be cruel. I can do something about that. Would you like to get out of that pit? Now, that's the grace of God, the gospel. That's the truth that sometimes is watered down in Western Christianity. We forget to tell people, we got a really great God who can free you from whatever bondage that life has captured you in. Any fetters that this world can put on you, God can break. That's the gospel. Now, Paul says, you heard the word of the gospel, the word of truth, which has come to you, just as it is in all the world, and it's constantly bearing fruits and increasing, even as it has been doing in you since the day you have heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is faithful, a servant of Christ on our behalf. And he has also informed us of your love in the Spirit. This is not the, what you call love, uh, carnal love. This is a Spirit-filled love, the love of God. He says, Epaphras came and told us, gave us the good report. What a great thing to hear. And now we see verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and with all in all spiritual wisdom and in all understanding so that you could walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We get to pick up to verse 11. He says, and that you would be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might. Anyone know that God can give you strength when you're really weak? Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, he said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Not because of his, I'm relying on my own strength, but he noticed that when he was weak, that's when he turned to God. That's when he really was strong because he recognized that it was God that gave him strength. In Isaiah 40, it says, Yea, those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. And so when we wait on the Lord, we go, Lord, I need you to supply me with strength. Listen to Paul. He says, I've been praying for you guys to know God's will, to please him in everything, to be fruitful and to be strengthened. Listen to this. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. How mighty is God? 
I mean, really, how strong is the Lord? He has all power. Now, this is the beautiful part. I'm praying for you to be strengthened so you can attain all steadfastness and you can attain patience and you can joyously give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, if you look at your translation, the word light might be capitalized with a capital L. There's a reason that the translators do that. When they use a pronoun like him or his, and it is signifying God, they don't put a little h, they put a capital H to signify deity. When we look at 1 John, it says God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. This is a good point for us to learn because it goes on in 1 John, it says, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all our sin. And, neat thing that it does, it says it gives us fellowship, one with another. You know, whenever you meet a believer, it doesn't matter where they are in the world, maybe from the other side of the planet, but if they believe in the Lord and you believe in the Lord, and you're walking in that light of the Lord, and they're walking in the light of the Lord, there's a sweet thing that happens. Jesus' blood is cleansing both of these two people from their sins, and they can just meet and have an instant connection. That is something of the Spirit God makes for us. Now, I only say that because some people, they long for that. They want to have those sweet connections with people. And it says, both of you have to be walking in the light. Now, if they're walking in the bar, they might be walking in the dark. So, you're probably not going to have a lot of fellowship with them. But you go and you find the one that is walking in the light of the Lord, and you're walking in the light of the Lord, I assure you, whenever you walk in His light, there's no darkness. And that includes the darkness of our own sin, because Jesus' blood washes that away. And that makes us a lot more approachable, a lot more enjoyable to be around when the Lord is constantly giving us a spiritual bath and washing away some of those bad things that if folks saw us with that, they'd probably go, I don't want to hang out with you. But Jesus is faithful. He washes that away, and he washes away their sin, and then he brings us together, and there is that sweet fellowship of the Spirit. We just feel that connection. Now, I want to point out this one thing about the light that maybe you didn't recognize. Because Paul pointed it out here. Let me read it to you. I have to back up a little. He says, we need to joyously give thanks to the Father. Of course, we're going to give thanks to God, right? But sometimes people go, oh, thanks, God. Like, God doesn't get much joyous thanks. He gets, yeah, thank you, God. I don't really want that, or I don't feel like doing that. But he says, joyously giving thanks to God the Father. Why? Did you read the rest of the sentence? I'll show you why you can give joyous thanks. He says, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. Did you know that there's an inheritance for the saints? Eternal life or everlasting life? Is that all? Is it just eternal life? I mean, the gospel is just about life after death. It's a life insurance package. You, you sign up with Jesus Christ Mutual, and as soon as you die, you cash it in, and that gets you into the pearly gates, and you're set for eternity. Is that all it's about? Because no, Jesus said, I came to give you life, and to give it to you more abundantly. Now, I've heard it taught both ways because when you read it in the Greek, it's hard to discern which way to read it. But 
the meaning is the same no matter which way they term it. They'll go, he came to give us life, meaning eternal life, and life more abundantly, meaning all the things pertaining to life down here. I've heard other really learned scholars in Greek say, he came to give us life, the first life is life down here, and life more abundantly is life everlasting. Okay, let's argue about that, should we? I mean, they're both included no matter which way you flip it. As far as I'm concerned, it's a package deal. It's not just everlasting life we're talking about. It's talking about the things we have down here that we got to face. We have the life of the Lord to get through these things. We have the Lord with us. And we have a promise of an inheritance. Now, if you grew up poor, you might have had a similar thought. When I was younger, I was like, God, I didn't choose my family. I have an objection. I got stuck with this one because you put me here. And you, you could have put me with the Rockefellers. I could have been born to one of those rich families. But you had to put me in this poor family. And it really stinks because if I was at least born into one of those rich families, I would have been the heir. And I'm the oldest of six kids. That was another gripe I had. I got a share. When you talk sharing inheritance with six brothers and sisters and you got a tiny little nothing pot to pee in, there's no inheritance anyway. That's a sixth of nothing. I said, God, you could have made me the only child of the Rockefellers. And then I could have had all of their wealth. What a rotten deal. The Lord told me one day when I was reading the scriptures, he says, yes, but you get to be my heir. And he reiterated it through a couple different passages, all at once. You know how the Holy Spirit can remind you of something you've heard, but you didn't really key in on? Let me show you one of them. In the book of Hebrews, just a few pages farther back in your Bible to Hebrews 6, 9, Paul is, well, we don't know who the author of Hebrews is, but we believe Paul collaborated with it. And it kind of seems like it by the topic matter. But Hebrews 6, 9, don't worry about who wrote it. The Holy Spirit inspired the authors to say this. But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you. Now I say authors because they say we, not I am convinced. We are convinced of better things concerning you and the things that accompany salvation. We're convinced that there's these better things that accompany salvation Though we are speaking in this way, for God is not unjust so as to forget your work, which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You're an heir to the promises of God. Now, he made a lot of promises in the Old Testament to his people. And in the New Testament, I'll tell you where to look extra credit for those guys that like to look up passages. But in Titus 3, 7 and in, in Galatians 3, 29, we read that the Gentiles are heirs with the Jews by faith. We've now been included in the club. Paul said it was a mystery, hidden, long ago, but it was in the scripture. And he uses the Old Testament scriptures to point out God had a plan to include the Gentiles in salvation. But not just in salvation, to include us as heirs to his promises. We're included. And then he says, so we are 
in the same way God desiring even more to show to us, to the heirs of promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose, he interposed with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have taken refuge who have have a strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. And this hope we have as the anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil. That's where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus went and made the way into God's presence. You remember when he died and he was on the cross and he said, it is finished. And there was a great earthquake and the sky grew dark. Does anyone know what the Bible tells us in Matthew happened inside of the temple where the Holy of Holies, where the ark was kept behind that huge thick curtain, that veil it was called. It says that veil was torn from the top down to the bottom it. It was torn asunder, signifying not man tore it from the bottom up to make a way into the Holy of Holies, but that Christ, that's what the author of Hebrews is saying, Christ went in, tore the veil, and went in as our high priest before God on our behalf. He says, we got the greatest hope there is. We got the greatest priest there is. We got the guy that took care of us. If you were raised in a Catholic upbringing, we were always taught it was the priest's job to go talk to God and come back and tell us what God said. But Jesus says, I go to the Father, I make a way for you. I am the door to the sheepfold. If anyone wants to come into the sheepfold, who do we have to go through? Through Jesus. He said, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one gets the Father except through me. So he made that way. Now that is a hope that is the anchor of our soul. And we have that as part of our inheritance. Part of my inheritance is, Jesus made the way for me to get to God. And he is the heir of all things, and he has made us fellow co-heirs with him. So he gets to inherit how much? All things. And what's he do? He says, guys, I'm so glad you're with me. Come here. Everyone that wants to be with me, come over here. Welcome to the club. You get to be co-heirs with me. He goes, forget being a Rockefeller. We're talking... The guy who gets to inherit the whole entire universe just included me and his family. I said, welcome to the family. Oh, by the way, you get to have part of the inheritance of the universe. And you get a new name. There's going to be a banquet. The kids always ask me, is there going to be eating in heaven? I said, how do you have a marriage supper of the lamb without food? And my assistant pastor, Don, when he was alive, God bless him, he grew up here in Hawaii eating fresh fish and He's reading the book of Revelation one day, and he comes to me and says, there's um, the marriage supper of the Lamb. He says, I think I know one of the courses that are going to be served on the buffet. And I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah. He goes, I'm pretty sure. I said, why, why do you say that? And he says, well, I was reading here in the new heaven, there's the new Jerusalem, and it's got these gates. They're like a mile high, and each gate is made, it says, from one pearl. Well, if the pearl is a mile high... How big do you think the oyster was that made the pearl? This is how Don thinks. So God has somewhere a big pearl farm with really big oysters. And once you shuck the oyster to get the pearl, you're not going to waste a big old oyster like that. This is how Don says. So we're going to have at least some fresh oysters on the buffet. And I'm like, I'll save that one. I can't wait to get to heaven to confirm that. 
But Don's always thinking food. That's Don. But we have an inheritance. Jesus said, I go to prepare a mansion for you. Anybody here up for getting a mansion? Does that suit you okay? Just get a mansion from Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to go make a mansion for you. I'll come back and get you. He says, and I'll come back and receive you to myself. So where I am, that's where you'll be also. He wants us to be with him in heaven. Now, when you hear about that, I think a mansion in heaven with Jesus, this is going to be good. I mean, everything I've read about heaven from the book of Revelation, from the Gospels, you think, this is what we get to inherit? I mean, this is better than any earthly inheritance ever could. It doesn't even compare. It's like on a whole nother level, greater. And yet, Paul, when he writes to this little church at Colossae, the first thing he says, I'm praying for you guys to know the knowledge of God's will, to know how to walk in a manner worthy, pleasing to him, so you can keep growing and increasing in fruit, and you can know the power of his glorious might. You could be strengthened with his power. Boy, how many times could we use that prayer? Someone praying. How many would you like to have Paul praying for you to be strengthened with the power of God's glorious might? And then he says, and oh, by the way, we joyously give thanks because you guys know that, right? Since we're saints in the light, we get to be included in God's inheritance. I think that's one of the greatest things of the promises of the gospel is that we get to look forward to this great inheritance. Now, some people are like, well, it doesn't give us all the details. Do you know that a lot of people inherit stuff and they don't know the details of what they're going to get? They just know maybe they were in the will. It's almost like Christmas because they don't know what, what exactly do they get. They're waiting till the reading of the will. Then they find out and then they're like, oh, whoa, they left me the, the limousine, you know, or whatever it is. And I didn't even know. Or they left me this great bank account. I think whatever God has for us is so great. It would blow our minds if we had a sneak peek. He just gives us the idea. You're included. You're in my family. You get to be one of the heirs. It's like getting a notice that, hey, did you know so-and-so wrote you into their will? Now, you don't get to find out what you get until the reading of the will. Do you think we would be a little excited? Especially if that person, they're kind of wealthy. We would be going, this is a great thing. But you know what? Some Christians, some of the new ones, they don't even know that they're in God's will. They're included as an heir. They get to be in the will. They're going to inherit from God some beautiful thing. And I bet you he knows what they need exactly. He knows what thing was the perfect thing to give to each of his children. He's God. The Bible says he has beyond what we can think or imagine. What I want to end with is that you know you are included as one of his heirs. You are one of the heirs of his light. You're included. So walk in his light. Let him cleanse you of your sin. It'll give you fellowship with other people in the light. You'll feel closeness to people in the Lord. Sweet, sweet fellowship comes to you when you walk in that light. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the big island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at amazinggracekona.com.
Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona. Mm-hmm.